Well, today I want to talk to you about unity. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, come on, guys. We want unity in this world of a lot of diversity. Um, but I do want to issue a warning. The first part of this message, you're going to be like, yes. And the second one, you might be a little like, ooh. So just a heads up there for you. Um, but God's heart is for unity. We see it in the Trinity and the Godhead, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. They walk together in perfect unity. And Jesus, he talks about this many times throughout his ministry. He says things like, I only do and say what my Father tells me to. He's the Son of God. He could do or say whatever he wants to, but he chose to walk in unity with the Father and only do or say what the Father told him to. He also walked in unity with the Holy Spirit. He didn't do any miracles or any ministry until the Holy Spirit descended on him at his baptism. And so he chose to walk in unity with the Holy Spirit. In fact, John records Jesus saying that no one has ever seen the Father. But because you've seen Jesus, you have actually seen the Father. That's pretty cool. That they walk in such unity that if we see Jesus, that we know exactly who the Father is. Because they're so unified together. When God created us to walk in unity with him, he, we see this at creation when the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they were there and they created man, and they could have given life to man anyway. They could have given life to man like they did the animals or like the plants, but God chose to breathe his life into us, to be close, close with us, and he created us for relationship with him. God walked in the garden with man before the fall, and then after the fall, Jesus gave his life to restore unity back with him so that the division that was accomplished by sin could be washed away. So if we were created for unity, then our purpose can only be fulfilled when we walk in unity. Unity with God, but here's the hard part. Unity with God's family. We have to walk in unity with God's family. Paul teaches about the church or the family of God in Corinthians, and he uses the illustration of the body. And when I've read this in the past, I've always thought that when Paul was talking about this, he was talking just about each member having equal value. And he certainly is. But I want to read this today, and I want to show you something that God highlighted to me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27, it says, Just as the human body is one, though it has many parts that together form one body, so too is Christ. For by one spirit, we are all immersed and mingled into one single body. And no matter our status, whether Jews or non-Jews, oppressed or free, we all have privilege to drink deeply of the same Holy Spirit. I love that definition, that we are all immersed and mingled into one body. Um, Wikipedia gives the definition of unity as bringing together separate or fragmented parts into a unified whole. And so when Jesus shed his blood, what he did is he took all the fragmented parts, the Jews, the Greeks, the slaves, the free, the male, the female, and he said, I'm going to join them together into one body. Let's continue on in verse 14. It says, in fact, the human body is not one single part, but rather many parts mingled into one. So if the foot were to say, since I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, it's forgetting that it's still a vital part. And if the ear were to say, since I'm not an eye, I'm not really part of the body, it's forgetting that it's still an important part. Think of it this way. If the whole body were just an eyeball, yeah, that's weird, um, then how could it hear sounds? And if the whole body were just an ear, how could it smell different fragrances? 
But God has carefully designed each member and placed it in the body to function as he desires. A diversity is required, for if the body consisted of one single part, there wouldn't be a body at all. So now we see that there are many differing parts and functions, but one body. Let's pause. I think many times the body of Christ, it divides on things that God on purpose created diversity in. Not all the time, but many times we separate because you operate in a different way than me, and that was on purpose by God's design. We shouldn't do that. Verse 21, it would be wrong for the eye to say to the hand, I don't need you, and equally wrong if the head said to the foot, I don't need you. In fact, the weaker our parts, the more vital and essential they are. The body parts we think are less honorable, we treat with greater respect. And the body parts that need to be covered in public, we treat with propriety and clothe them. But some of our body parts don't require as much attention. Instead, God has mingled the body parts together, giving greater honor to the lesser members who lacked it. He has done this intentionally so that every member would look after the others with mutual concern and hear this, so that there would be no division in the body. And that way, whatever happens to one member happens to all. If one suffers, everyone suffers. If one is honored, everyone rejoices. You are the body of the anointed one, and each of you is unique and a vital part. So each member has equal value. And the body needs each member. But this is what God highlighted to me. Each part needs the body. I never really thought of it much that way. So if you take your eyeball and you pluck it out and you set it on the table, would you expect it to see, to function properly? Or if you cut off your foot, even if you put a sock on it and a cute boot and lace it up all pretty and set it there, would you expect it to walk? No. But many times we get hurt or wounded and we say, I don't need the people of God. I don't need the church. It's just me and God. Like, I'm going to go do my thing, and all I need is God. But that is not how God designed us. He designed us to need the body of Christ. So we must be unified with the body of Christ. This is why Paul exhorts us to not forsake the assembling together. We are called to come together to build each other up, build relationship, walk together, reach the lost together. God's heart has always been for unity. One people, one heart, one body, and one family. And so the title of my message today is Divided We Fall. I'm really creative. Um, but it's effective title. So let's pray before we move on. Dear Father God, we thank you so much that you've created us for unity with you. And Lord God, I pray that you would help us to always walk in unity with your family. And so today... We ask you to reveal to us what we need to hear individually, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord God, that you would wash us of anything that is impure, help us to see that, help us to walk close with you so that we can walk fully in our purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. So today I want to talk to you about what unity does. This is, this is the easy part. This is the part you're going to like. Um, so the first thing that unity does is it displays Jesus to the world. Have you ever wondered, like, how can I share the gospel more? Like, that's the Great Commission. I'm supposed to share the gospel into all the world. How can I do that? Well, let's read in John 13. It says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. 
Who will know? Paul will know. Why? Because you love one another. You walk in unity. You don't have to know all the scripture, chapter, and verse. You should know the scripture. But you don't have to know all the scripture to reveal Jesus. You don't have to have the answers to the questions that everyone is going to ask you. If you will just walk in love and unity with the brothers and sisters of Christ, then people are going to be like, they're different. They're different. But division, it destroys our credibility. So I have an example of this. I didn't share it in first service. Um, But the best example I could give of um, destroying credibility is my experience with my phone this week. So my company is switching over, and they have convinced me that if I got a new phone and this new service, 5G, which I have no clue what that means, that my calls would stop dropping at my house. Okay? So I did it. I got a new phone. And first of all, I take that pretty little thing out of the box, and I'm so excited about it, and I don't know what to do with it. Like, I need someone who's about eight to come and tell me what to do with this phone. Um, But I... Get it turned on. It's not working. I sit on tech support all day, actually all day, um, sitting there chatting, and I'm just making dinner, mute, unmute, you know, to get it to set my phone up. They finally set my phone up, and my service is worse. It's on Wi-Fi most of the time because it doesn't have cell service. Now, they promised me my service would be better. Their credibility is destroyed. So I won't tell you or I did tell you that it was T-Mobile. Doesn't work on my house. <laughs> Just a heads up right there. But oftentimes as Christians, we look like that. We say, God is love, you know? God loves you. He's going to forgive you of everything. I'm a Christian, but I hate them, and I'm not going to talk to them, and, and, and I'm cutting them off. And we destroy our credibility of what Jesus looks like. The next thing that unity does is it increases our effectiveness. In Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13, it says, So Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the people for the works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God set up the structure of the body to have to walk together in unity, to need each other, to lean on each other. He's called people to be teachers. He's called people to be workers of ministry. He's called us to pour into each other. He's called us to sharpen each other so that we can be most effective in the body of Christ. Every local church has a God-given vision, but if you aren't accomplishing your vision, the local church will not accomplish her vision. And if each local church is not accomplishing her vision, the overall church of God will not fully accomplish the vision that we're called to accomplish. So we need you in the house of God growing with all of us. Have you guys ever heard of the story of the Tower of Babel? It's amazing how many people have not heard that story. So you better raise your hand. Like no one's raising their hand right now. Come on, guys. All right. So I will tell you for those who only raised your hand so that every, because everyone was looking, but the Tower of Babel, it was after the flood, um, I'll give you great detail, after the flood, the people were like, we never want that to happen again. Now remember, God gave a promise that he would never flood the earth again, but yet everyone was still like, we are going to take it into our own hands to never die by flood again. So they all came together, there was only one language in the world, 
And they started building this tower to reach to the heavens far above where they think God could flood, which is really kind of dumb because God could flood it as high as he wanted to. But this is, this is what they were thinking. And so I want to read to you what God says to them. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they have one language. And this is what they purpose to do. Now, nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them. So come, let us scramble their language. Nothing that they purpose to do will be withheld from them because they all came together in unity. And that was something that God didn't approve of. That was a sin that they were committing. So imagine what would happen if the people of God came together in unity by something God blessed and anointed. What could we purpose to do? I'll tell you this, there is no political agenda that would be able to overcome what the church of God could do. There would be no sickness or disease that could take control of a country, right? There is nothing that we couldn't do. The next thing that unity does is it brings blessing. Psalm 133.1 says, Behold how good and how pleasant is it for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like precious oil upon the head, running down the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon, descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded blessing, life forevermore. God's saying that if you'll choose to walk in unity, if you will not let things come and divide you from the brothers and sisters in Christ, there will be a blessing, an anointing that comes over your life, that comes over your household, that comes over your church. You just have to choose to not let things divide. I think that if we remembered a few things that would help us better walk in unity. One, that God always brings truth to light. A lot of times we're like, if they only knew or if they saw, God knows, God sees, God will bring truth to light at the right time, let him handle it. Also, if we realize that we were all wrong sometimes when we really thought we were right. Does that make sense? Like sometimes you are really wrong when you really think you are right. And so when you are having a, a difference with someone, approach it like, I could be wrong, because you could be wrong. And also that unity and love is of more value than most things we as Christians disagree on. Sadly, we allow lesser things, worldly things, to divide us on things that we should be uniting eternally on. If we would focus on the things that we have alike. Like, think of the person or a person, because you're already probably thinking of someone. So that person that you have had odds with. If you just take out that one thing that you disagree on, for most people, everything else you probably agree on. But you're letting one thing divide you. So is that one thing worth it? And I've thought about this. What are things that should divide us? Jesus is the son of God. Him being the only way to heaven. The scripture is the infallible word of God. A few other things, but that's about it. That's about it. So I ask you, that person that you're divided on, divided with, is it about Jesus being the son of God? Is it about the scripture being the infallible word of God? 
Or is it on something that's really an earthly thing? There um, is an illustration of us walking together, and it's the three-strand cord that's not easily broken. And, okay, last service, lots of people were trying to teach me about cords. It, it's not sinking in. I don't know much about cords. It's really cool information, but it didn't st stick. But hair, hair, that's where I'm going to stick with my illustration of hair. I watched a really cool YouTube video, and it was, they took a strand of hair, and they were seeing how strong it was and they were taping pennies to it. How many pennies do you think a strand of hair could hold? If you've seen it, don't answer. 22. 22 pennies plus tape. I just watched him. He was just taping on another one and taping on another one, and it was just holding more and more hair, and then he weighed the thing, and I forget how much it was. But it was like this many pennies that one strand of hair could hold. And so I had to research and find out, well, how much could a healthy head of hair hold. Not Jessica's hair because she has a lot, but most normal people's healthy head of hair. Anybody want to guess? You're going to be blown away. Two elephants. Two elephants. And so I was thinking, like, who did this example? Because my neck would break off long before two elephants. So someone must have had a really strong neck. But walking in unity, it brings blessing and it brings strength. So the second part of this message is, so what fosters division? Like, we know what unity does, so what are the things that cause us to divide? As I go through this part, I'm going to be gentle, because for some, this may be painful. Um, but if we're honest, all of us have been in a place where we have fostered division in the house of God at some point. Because as I was going through this, I have been in every single one of these places. And so if you're not here right now, I just want to say, be careful, because the enemy is always trying to divide. And so if you're taking notes, write this down. If you take division lightly, you cannot take unity seriously. If you're okay with the body of Christ being divided, then you really aren't all that serious about unity. Because when you see the body of Christ divided, it should break your heart. When you see your family divided, it should break your heart. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That word endeavoring means to try hard, to put in effort. It's not just like if it comes, I'll walk in it. If not, no big deal. It's I am making it a priority in my life. And so Paul's encouraging us to endeavor to walk in unity. But Satan is the great divider. In Mark 3, 24, it says, if a kingdom divided against itself, or yeah, if a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. Where do you think our country got that from? From the Bible. But see, Satan knows this too. He knows the word of God, sadly, better than most Christians. And so he knows that if he can divide the kingdom of God, then he will be more effective in taking ground. And so he is set out to divide in as many ways, in as many factions as he can, to weaken the body of Christ. So here are some things that divide. One is a critical spirit, a critical spirit. 
It's a negative attitude that tears people down. Do you know someone that has a critical spirit? Do you have a critical spirit? Let me help you identify those pers- this person. If they are always talking bad about people, if there's always someone that, that isn't good enough, that's doing something wrong, that's ne- negatively affecting them, they probably have a critical spirit. And so I just want to warn you, if they're always talking bad about everyone else, dot, 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 fill in the blank. But you get a critical spirit because you're walking in a place of insecurity. When you have a deep desire to look better and you see someone else who in your mind looks better than you, inevitably you're going to try to yank them down so that they don't look better than you, to make yourself feel better because you're insecure. And so a pastor said this, and I thought it was really good, and it hit me hard. And he said, the one that we're criticizing isn't the one being beaten up, because usually they're not there. Because oftentimes we're chickens, and we don't tell them, we just tell everyone else. But it's Jesus. Jesus is the one we're beating up. Because Jesus is the one that said they're valuable. They're worthy to lay my life down for They're in my family. I consider them a son or a daughter. And we're saying they're not good enough. They're not worthy. They're this, they're that. Jesus is the one taking the beating when we criticize people. And basically, we're saying, like, Jesus made a dumb choice. I hope you would never actually say Jesus made a dumb choice. But sometimes we say things without realizing what we're saying. The person in the situation that you're most critical about is the person or situation that you've prayed the least about. How do I know this? Because Jesus doesn't talk like that. Jesus isn't critical. And so a few years ago, we were driving down to Florida, and we were somewhere in the state of Alabama. I don't know where because I follow Siri and I don't pay attention. Um, But we were somewhere in the state of Alabama. It was about 1 in the morning. Everyone in the car was asleep, and so I get out to get gas in my car. And there was this couple that were standing there, and they were talking, and they had the coolest accent ever. Seriously. They probably thought I was a weirdo because I was just staring at them and watching them talk, and I couldn't really understand everything that we're saying. It was so different, but, but I was really trying to pay attention um, to what they were saying. So then I got in my car and thought they probably thought I was weird and left, but I was thinking about it and wondering how just a few hours away can people talk so different? Like, how, how does the language change that much in the same country just a few hours? And you know that we have to cross paths. It's because they were listening to their parents and their friends and people who talk like them. And I learned how to talk based on the people I was listening to. So if you are talking critical about a person or a situation, who are you listening to? Revelations 12.10 describes Satan as the accuser of the brethren. It's Satan who accuses the brethren, not Jesus. So if there's a person or situation that you always see the wrong in, probably need to spend some time praying. Spend some time with Jesus, hearing his heart about that person or that situation. Another thing that divides is an offended spirit. Jesus says offenses will come. 
The opportunity to be offended will come to everyone many times throughout their life. In fact, Matthew 24.10 says that many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another. Jesus is talking about the last days. Um, sound familiar? Kind of like Jesus knew what today would look like, isn't it? Like he has maybe been here, which should encourage you as a side point that Jesus has been here, he's been to tomorrow, he's been to next year, and so there's nothing that he doesn't know. But I have a question for you. How easy is it to offend you? I'll give you a scale of one to three, and then I'll ask you to raise your hand. No, I won't ask you to raise your hand. I know. I want you to be honest, because no one would be a three. But one is, most things don't offend me. Rolls right off my back. No big deal. Two is, eh, so-so. It kind of depends on the situation, depends on the person, you know. And then three, highly offendable. Somebody cuts me off in traffic, offended. Someone gives me a dirty look in the grocery store, definitely offended. That person says that to me, oh, I will never speak to them again. Where are you? Are you a one, a two, a three? The more easily you are offended, the more deeply you are wounded. Offense comes because of wounds. So if me and Naomi... Um, go after church, and we go into the back room here, and we get into a knife fight. Totally could happen. Totally. <laughs> Naomi's pretty scrappy, so I mean definitely. Um, and so I'm winning, but she gets one up on me, and she takes a huge chunk of my flesh out of my arm, like big chunk of flesh. Then she feels bad because she's a Christian, and she should. And so then she helps me clean it up. And so we wrap it up and patch it, no blood, and I put on a jacket because I have to come out here and talk to all of you, and I don't want anyone to know because it's Naomi, and I don't want to make her look bad that she just injured me so poorly. But say you come up to me, and you said, well, Pastor Katie, terrible message, but I love you anyway. I'm going to punch you. I am. But I'm not going to punch you because you said terrible message. I'm going to punch you because you hit my hurt arm. Because if you would have come up to me and said, terrible message, Pastor Katie, and hit me on that arm, I would have been like, not friends anymore. Thanks a lot. And then I'd walk away, but I wouldn't punch you. Like, it would be okay. But the deeper and more painful the wound, the more we lash out, the more we react from offense, the more it hurts, right? The next thing that can divide is a spirit that tolerates a lack of forgiveness. Jesus said to forgive as I have forgiven you. In fact, in the Lord's Prayer, he teaches the disciples to pray by saying, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then in Colossians 3.13, it says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a past grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I just wanted to highlight that the focus that God is telling us of a Christ follower is what Jesus did for them, not what someone did to you. But many times what gets our focus is what people have done to us. And even when we pray about it, it's God, they did this, God, they did this. But Jesus is saying, no, hey, Jesus, but you forgave me. Jesus, but you let it go. Our focus should be on Jesus. Now, I want to pause here for a moment, and I know that there may be some of you in here, and you're like, I understand. 
but you have no idea what they have done to me. Like this isn't a you insulted my message. This is deep wounds. This is years of wounds. And you're right, I have no idea. I don't know the pain that that's caused. I don't know how deep those wounds go, but Jesus does. Jesus does, he knows every detail. He knows every tear. He knows exactly how deep that pain goes. And he's still saying forgive. He's not asking you to say it was right. But unforgiveness puts you in a prison. It puts you in a prison. It puts walls up around you. And so you walk saying, you can only come this far. I will only let you to this place. I will only build relationship this close. And you cannot walk in unity with anyone because you have walls up. And Jesus is saying, I don't want you to stay there. I don't want you to miss all I have for you that I do through close relationship around you. I don't want your purpose and your effectiveness to be limited because someone hurts you. What forgiving does is it's not saying it's okay. It's saying, Jesus, I don't want to carry this anymore. Like it's too heavy. And I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to trust that you're going to change hearts, speak, punish, whatever it is that needs to be done. I'm going to put it in your hands and I'm going to let it all go. Jesus calls us to forgive for us not necessarily for the other person. So what can we do? You say, I want to walk in unity. I want to be free. What, what can I do when people come at me, when they offend me or hurt me? Well, the first thing we can do is we can cover it. Hold on. Proverbs ten twelve says, Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrong. Love covers wrong. Now, am I saying that if someone is walking in repeated sin, that you just like say nothing and act like it's not happening? No. What I'm saying is you tell the person that can help them, and then you cover it with everyone else. See, oftentimes we help them by telling the world, and that's not helping them. Because love covers. Love realizes that what someone does is a moment, and that God can heal them and restore them, and everyone else doesn't need to know that. Love endeavors to get them help, not cut them down. There's a story after the flood where Noah gets out of the ark, has all, you know, it's powerful, had to be, year or however long it was in the ark, and then he gets out and does, I guess what people do is he got drunk and laid naked in a cave. Um, that's what he did. And so he had three sons, and one son went in there and was like, oh my gosh, everyone, dad is drunk, and he's in the cave. But then he had two other sons, and they were like, oh my gosh. And so they put a blanket on their shoulders, and they walked backwards, and they covered their dad, and the Bible says they didn't even look on his nakedness. Was it wrong that Noah was drunk? Yes. Noah was 600 years old. So it was absolutely wrong that he was naked. <laughs> but still, I mean, it was. It was wrong anyway, but it was definitely wrong. Um, but the Bible says that the son that blasted it to everybody was cursed. But the two that covered their father, that they were blessed. 
going to level with you. I don't know why that son told everybody. Anyway, I would be horribly embarrassed, but, but he did, um, and he was cursed for it. The Bible says that we're to cover our brothers and sisters. The next thing we can do is we can overlook it. Proverbs 19.11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Let me start with this. Have you offended anyone? How do you want that handled? Do you want someone to show you grace? Do you want someone to say, man, I know their heart? Do you want them to defer to, they probably didn't mean it that way? Or do you want them to immediately snap? Immediately hold it against you? We should, we should respond the way we want, it, want to be responded to. And so the Bible says when we are willing to overlook it, when we're, we're willing to say, I trust their heart, or that must not have been what they meant, and we overlook it, that it's to our glory. That God will use that for our influence. He will make us more effective because we walk that way. Unity is strongest when it's been tested by many differences. Unity, you can't really say that it's all that strong if you agree on everything, right? But when you're walking with those people that you disagree with, when it seems like, oh my gosh, like we are always at odds on this. You know, you're a Democrat, I'm a Republican, or you like, I don't know, whatever, lots of things. And you're walking in unity with that person, that means unity's strong. When you're offended, they say something that, that could offend you, I guess, and then you overlook it, that's when unity is strong. The next thing you can do is you can pray for them. So I read a book by John Bevere called Bait of Satan. How many people have read that book? You guys all need to read that book. Seriously. I've read it like four or five times. Kelly's going to do a life group on it. I've just signed you up. Um, <clears throat> but it, he talks about how you know when you're truly free from unforgiveness, when you can pray God's lavish blessings on someone. When you can pray for them and you can pray for them like you would pray for yourself. And he was talking about like when you choose to forgive, you kind of start out by saying, God, just help them to see what they did wrong. Just, I guess, you know, don't let them die today. But if you continue to choose to walk that out, you should be able to pray God's lavish blessing. Help them to walk in your fullness. Help them to receive the fullness of your mercy and grace today. Let them see you today. Show up in their life. Bless their finances. Bless their family. When you can pray like that, then you've let it go then you've forgiven someone. And so I want to share this last story with you as the worship team comes up. And it's about Moses in Numbers 12. And this is a story where Miriam, his sister, and Aaron, his brother, they got offended at Moses for something. We don't really know, but what they were saying was that he married a Cushite woman. And so she was from the land of Cush that was over in Ethiopia, some scholars think it may have been a race thing, but we see no evidence that there was a difference in faith. And so the Bible describes Moses as a very humble man, more humble than all on the earth. And so God was not condemning him, but his brother and his sister were. And so God overheard this conversation. They were saying things like, God doesn't just speak to Moses. He speaks to all of us or lots of us. You know, basically, why do we need Moses? And God said, come on. Come to the tent of meeting. You three show up. We're going to have a conversation. And so when they all showed up at the tent of meeting, God laid in to Miriam and Aaron. He 
he got on to him. He said, how dare you talk to my friend like that? How dare you cut him down? And then God cursed Miriam with leprosy. And so I want to stop there and I want to ask you, if that was you, and here's your brother and your sister, your family, people that you've walked close with, and they're cutting you down like that. They're tearing you down. They're criticizing you. And you're like, I've led you well. I have prayed for you. I went on a mountain for 40 days with no food or water to bring the law to you. And then you cut me like that? You criticize me like that? And then God shows up? And God said, how dare you and defend you? What would you say? If it were me, I'd be like, ha, 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 ha. I got you. See, he's the defender of my reputation. You got what was coming to you. But that's not what Moses did. Moses cried out to God and he said, no, God, heal her. Please heal her, God. Don't leave her like that. Don't leave her as a leper outcast from everyone. Heal her, God. Sounds like someone else, doesn't it? Maybe like our Savior, that is, he was being beaten and tortured, but he said, God, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Don't hold this against them. And so I want to take communion with you today. And so if you don't have your elements, just raise your hand quietly and we'll get it to you. But while you're doing that, I want you to think of the three or five worst sins that you've committed. Now, I'm not talking about you lied to grandma about stealing a cookie. You know, I'm talking about those things that you don't want anyone to know. Those things that you're ashamed of. That maybe at least at some point in your life, they've kept you up, kept you awake, caused you to not step out into things. Like the things that you're most ashamed of. And as we take communion, people have asked, like, why did Jesus' body have to be broken? Why couldn't he just have an off with his head kind of thing? Then we still get the blood, right? Would have been much nicer. But see, Jesus' body had to be broken because of those sins that you remember. Because there was an eternal punishment that we deserved, and Jesus took that on his body. And so we don't have to suffer that if we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior because he took it for us. So as we take the bread today, I want you to think about your sins and how Jesus took that punishment for you on his body. And just let that act sink deeper in your soul. And take the bread. tells us that the blood covers our sin so it doesn't have to be exposed because without the blood we will stand before God on judgment day and everything that we've ever done every thought every motive every act will be known before everyone but once we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior the Bible tells us that the blood covers those sins and it also says that God remembers those sins no more. And growing up, I always said God forgot. 
that's not really what happens because forgetting is an accident. Like I forgot my keys. I didn't want to forget my keys, but I accidentally forgot my keys. But it says that God remembers them no more. So that means he sees them, every detail, and he chooses by an act of his will to say, I'm no longer gonna remember them because of the blood. So as we take this cup, let that sink in, that God on purpose chooses to cover and forget your sin because he loves you that much.